Hello, welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and uh, I am a uh, healthcare activist and cancer survivor. So, healthcare questions are near and dear to my heart. And we're here to answer your American healthcare and health insurance questions uh, with a special panel of experts uh, to give you the help that you need to navigate the American healthcare system. Our first question today is about uh, whether Medicare uh, rates will be going down this year since uh, the expensive Alzheimer's drug was not fully approved. Uh, to answer that, welcome Diane Archer from Just Care and Social Security Works. Thank you, Laura. Uh, so everybody with Medicare probably knows that the standard Part B premium this year is $171 and some change, and that's in part as a result of the fact that the government factored in the cost of a very expensive Alzheimer's drug into your premium. And if you can believe it, because this drug, Aduhelm, was had a launch price of $56,000 for the year, and the government wanted to assume that everyone with Alzheimer's might take it, uh, everybody with Medicare is paying $11 more a month this year to cover what they thought would be the cost of paying for this drug. As it turns out, happily, because the drug has so many side effects and no clear clinical benefit, the government decided that it wouldn't cover. And so technically, the standard Part B premium should be about $160 and not $170. But the Biden administration has just indicated that for operational and legal reasons, you won't see a change in your Part B premium until 2023. Now, that could change because there are two things the Biden administration could do. It could lower your premium effective next month and through the rest of this year down to 160, which it should. And it could also give you a refund for the last um, since January, several months, um, which it should also do. So uh, we are advocating that uh, you contact your members of Congress and ask them, urge them to contact the administration, put pressure on the administration to get you your refunds ASAP and to, at the very least, lower your Medicare premiums now and not force you to pay $11 more a month um, through 2022. Absolutely. Thank you, Diane. And our next question is, uh, what options are available if you don't have health insurance and you aren't eligible for a special en enrollment period? And also, what are the reasons that you would be eligible to get insurance through the ACA right now? Uh, Alika from Health Sherpa. I'm going to answer that question. Um, I'm going to flip it. So first of all, what might be reasons that you qualify to enroll in an Affordable Care Act plan right now? Um, good news is lots of people do qualify. Um, common reasons include losing, recently losing other health insurance coverage, for example, through a job, um, having a baby, getting married. Um, but really importantly, earlier this year, healthcare.gov and private uh, partners like uh, HealthSherpa, where I work, launched a new special enrollment period for people making below certain income thresholds. So if you think that this year you'll make about $19,000 as a single person or about $40,000 as a family of four, um, go and see what you can qualify for because you are now uh, allowed to enroll any time. Um, there are lots of other reasons you might qualify if you're not sure. 
definitely reach out to healthcare.gov, find a local um, assister or a trusted broker who can help. Um, if you don't qualify uh, for a special enrollment period, there are still options available to you. Uh, particularly if your income is on the lower side, even temporarily, uh, you might be eligible for no-cost health insurance through uh, Medicaid, uh, state, federal. So unlike on the marketplace, Medicaid cares about your income this month. So if your income right now is uh, $1,600 a month uh, as a single person or below that, or $3,200 a month as a family of four, depending on your state, you might qualify to enroll. Um, if you aren't sure, it's always worth applying. Um, there's, there's no downside to that. In particular, if, for example, you're pregnant or you meet other criteria, the income limits are a little higher. So go to your state Medicaid office, go to healthcare.gov, submit an application. That's a really good um, uh, thing for you to do. And as a last resort, I do want to note, um, if none of those options apply to you, it's really important to be aware of um, federally qualified health centers in your area. So if, for example, you are uninsured, um, these are special uh, uh, health centers that may offer you care at a sliding scale or a reduced rate. Um, there's a great tool. Um, I think it's findahealthcenter.hrsa.gov um, that will help you um, find one of these health centers in your area. So something to look into if you truly are not eligible for any of those. Great. Thanks, Alika. And our next question is from Nisi and Karen uh, that want to know about expanding Medicare. Uh, what can we do to get Congress to lower the age of Medicare? And will dental and vision ever be included? Uh, Diane, what's going on with Medicare right now? Are there changes likely? And what do we need to do long term to get change? You're muted. <laughs> uh, right now, uh, as as many of you know, uh, Congress has been working, the Democrat have been working on the Build Back Better Act, which is, has been sort of on pause uh, because we haven't had the votes to pass it. But that act would have um, allowed uh, Medicare to negotiate prescription drug prices, and that would have made available a pot of money to spend on expanding Medicare. Uh, Senator Sanders and many other Democrats in Congress were advocating for a hearing uh, benefit that Medicare currently doesn't offer. Uh, but anyway, that is all on. So it is possible that Congress will come through with a quote unquote skinny Build Back Better package, which will probably only um, cover uh, drug price negotiation for a couple of drugs, maybe only insulin. Uh, so we're not going to see the kinds of savings that we need to see in order to pay for a Medicare expansion. In addition, uh, the government has been overpaying the private Medicare Advantage plans, the plans offered through United Healthcare and Humana and Aetna and others, um, to the tune of about 104.5% of what it spends on traditional Medicare, which actually is real money. It's It amounts to something like, um, I don't know, over, I think it's $600 billion in excess money over the next nine years. And so we need to stop those overpayments in order to do two things, actually, to lower the Part B premium, which is going up as a result of the overpayments, but also to um, put more money into the system. So there is the possibility of lowering the age of Medicare um, eligibility and offering additional benefits. Overall, what we can all do is elect members of Congress who support expanding and improving Medicare, putting an out-of-pocket cap in traditional Medicare. So people, as in Medicare Advantage, who, 
opt for traditional Medicare, don't have to buy supplemental coverage. There should be a level playing field. And that's just one simple way to, to help strengthen traditional Medicare. But definitely look at your members of Congress, the, your candidates coming up in November and support those that are behind strengthening the Medicare. Absolutely. And our next question is for Alika. Can you tell us uh, some about how insurance rates for the Affordable Care Act may be rising for next year? What's going on? Absolutely. Um, so now is the time of year where insurance companies are starting to request rate increases for plans they'll offer next year on the marketplace in, in 2023. Uh I'll say only a few states have shared this information so far and nothing's final. State regulators still need to sign off. Um, but for example, insurers in Vermont um, have asked for increases in premiums on the order of 12 to 17 percent. So that's a lot of money. Um, it's really, really important to understand that regardless of whether those are finalized, if you qualify for financial assistance or subsidies on the marketplace, those rate increases generally will not affect you because how much you pay is cap is a capped at a certain percentage of your income. So don't let this scare you from going and shopping on the marketplace. However, um, one thing that's really uh, important on the horizon is that um, uh, a couple of years ago, Congress um, passed the American Rescue Plan, which let many more people than before qualify for subsidies, particularly folks who are um, a little bit higher. Um, those subsidies are going to expire at the end of this year unless further action is taken. And so that means we could get a situation where Many fewer people qualify for financial assistance, and those premiums are a lot higher. Uh, so that's really the the thing to be aware of uh, this year. If those subsidies go away, growth those uh, the amount that a substantial number of people pay could really increase. Thanks, Alika. And going back to what Diane said, Congress is talking about uh, some form of budget reconciliation bill, or you may have heard it called Build Back Better earlier in the year. Uh, and so one of those pieces is negotiating for lower drug prices. Another of those pieces is making Affordable Care Act insurance plans more affordable, uh, because as Alika mentioned, uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans may uh, lose those um, financial uh, assistance at the end of this year. So contact your representatives, contact your senators, contact your U.S. representative, and make sure that they know that healthcare is a priority for you and they need to pass a bill in the next month or two before they take summer vacation and nothing happens for the rest of the year. So it is time critical to contact your reps and make sure they do their jobs this year. And with that, I'm excited to introduce our special guest for today's episode. Uh, Dr. Mina Butra is uh, coming back to the show uh, to talk about abortion, reproductive health care, and what the Supreme Court may be about to do. So welcome, Dr. Mina. Uh, please let us know what's happening. Uh, so first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I have to say, every time I'm on here, there's like, I have, I have to agree 100%. First of all, I'm always amazed. I think I've been on with Alika before, and she just, I learned so much from her. Like, it's just so many facts, and they just like, just it's so, so much information. And secondly, just to say what Diane had said and what Laura said, you need to be a healthcare voter. And there's never been a time where this is more important than now. And I, I, I wish I was coming on to talk about a better topic, um, but I gave... This time of year, ironically, is always the time of year I talk about 
reproductive rights and reproductive health care and access to reproductive health care because this past weekend was my daughter's seventh birthday and her whole life perfectly encapsulates the importance of access to reproductive uh, health care um, in America. So my daughter was a wanted pregnancy but we had a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. So we had to look at IVF options, which are at risk. And then the pregnancy itself actually nearly killed me. Um, it caused damage to my liver. I had to have a semi-urgent C-section. And while Lily, my daughter was fine, a stitch fell off of a branch of an artery in my abdomen after I'd been closed up. No one saw it happen. It was a freak accident, incredibly rare. But in recovery, I started to just feel sicker and sicker. And then I coded. I had a two liter bleed of blood into my abdomen and had to go back to the OR, three hour procedure to sort of wash it all out and fix it. And my whole point of telling the story is, again, remember, this was a wanted pregnancy. I am a doctor. I'm on faculty at the hospital where I was taken care of. I had the best access to medical care and I still nearly died. So now I have this daughter and her name is actually Lilavathi Mitha and her name perfectly encapsulates what we need right now for the reproductive health care issue. Lilavathi is the name of a daughter of a 12th century mathematician. Um, Lilavathi apparently was the best at her time in math, but because she was a girl, she could not be recognized as such. And there's a whole society called Lilavathi's Daughters, a group of women scientists who describe the hardship that they had in being what they wanted to be when they grew up. And Mitha means friends, and we really need friends right now. Because my daughter is seven years old, and she already, in her short lifetime, wants to be Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Beyonce, Wonder Woman, Carmen Sandiego, Athena, Mulan, a doctor, and a scientist. And if you think she wants to be one of these at a time, no, it's all of these at all time. But in this country, as of the end of May of this year, so let me repeat this again, in the first five months of the year, 41 states have introduced 300 bills restricting abortion and access to reproductive health care. That's just this year alone. And most of the people making those decisions do not have a uterus. In fact, I remember hearing a British reporter for Monocle 24 just this past month say, and this was a quote, 100 people, 76% of whom were male, made the decision about the private lives of 168 million women in America. That was last year when the Senate failed to advance the women's health protection. So this month, we know Roe versus Wade is going to get overturned. We know this because of that leaked draft from just when this happens. There are a couple of things we know are going to happen. First of all, 13 states have trigger laws. These are laws that the minute this gets overturned, these states will have a complete ban on abortion. And I mean complete ban, meaning women's life is in danger. Um, she is the victim of a rape or of an incest, she cannot get an abortion. But these are not, these are just the tip of the iceberg of laws. There are also laws that are punitive laws. Laws, for example, preventing the travel of women to obtain reproductive health care outside of a state that has banned it. So not just a uh, potential to sue the woman, but the potential to sue the person driving her, the potential to sue the doctor taking care of her. And then there are the even worse punitive laws. So in my fine state of Pennsylvania, just last year, 
Uh, the Senate House Committee voted to fine a woman who had a miscarriage and forced them to fill out a desk. And Representative Frank Ryan, who was one of the inter- people who introduced this bill, said, and I quote, he was just asking the ladies in the room to recognize how men feel when a fetus died. And, and a gentle reminder that this is not just abortions, because this is going to affect IVF. Again, lots of women need help becoming pregnant if they want to become pregnant. This is going to affect contraception and access to contraception, IUDs, which in some many cases are the only form of contraception some women can get, would not be allowed. This is going to affect DNC. So if a woman has a miscarriage, she may not be able to get a DNC. Um, this will affect a brain drain in these states because physicians, including not just OBGYNs, but primary care and family medicine doctors will no longer want to practice in a state where they might get sued or their family might get targeted. And if the justice opinion is what the leaked draft was, this could include or spill into unenumerated rights, such as same-sex marriage, same-sex adoption, etc. But let me go back to abortion for a second, because I think it is so important to destigmatize this word. One in four women have an abortion before the age of 45. So most women have had an abortion. If you know four women, one of them has had it. We need those women to have the safe space to speak up without being like, without being targeted because this is healthcare. This is not a perceived, this is healthcare. Reproductive healthcare is just healthcare. And in fact, a fetus is not viable before 24 weeks. Abortions are safer than getting your wisdom teeth removed or having your tonsils removed. They are safer than getting the flu. They are safer than taking Tylenol. This is from studies dating back to 2014. And the risk from childbirth is 14 times higher than having an abortion. Again, I wanted to have a child and I nearly died having it. Imagine women who don't want to now being at risk of dying simply because they cannot get the access to healthcare they need. We need to give women autonomy over their body and access to reproductive healthcare and reproductive choice leads to greater educational attainment by women, greater workforce participation, improved economic stability and earning power, improved mental health and happiness, and longer term stable relationships. And I really highly recommend people look up the Turnaway Project. This is a study from UCSF that has looked exactly at the impact of denying women a wanted abortion. But this, you know, this is known. This is research we've known. Women have been saying this over and over again. It can't just be women saying this. And that's where my daughter's middle name is Mitha, and it means friends. And we need everyone. We need everyone to speak up everyone to say, I am only going to vote for a pro-choice candidate because when the law gets overturned, when the, the justices overturn Roe versus Wade, this is going to be something that we're going to need to fight in laws at our state level, at our local level, hopefully at the federal level, but it starts at the states. Um, and, you know, I just want to remind people of a quote from Paxton Smith, who is a valedictorian in Texas. She had a valedictorian address last year. She said, I have hopes, dreams and ambitions. Every girl here does. We spent our whole lives working towards our futures. And without our consent or input, our control over our futures has been stripped away. I'm terrified that if my contraceptives fail me, if I'm raped, then my hopes and efforts and dreams for myself will no longer be relevant. I hope you can feel how gut wrenching it is, how dehumanizing it is to have autonomy over your own body taken away from you. There's so much at stake here because by doing this, we don't just put women's lives at risk, but we put the future of the workforce at risk here. And so this is something I I just, 
we've known this is going to happen. If you talk to boots on the ground, they tell you that they've been waiting for Roe versus Wade. They just knew that this was going to happen, but it's here. It's here now. And just like we need to vote for folks about other types of health care, we need to recognize that the right is and the right to, to make choices about your body is part of democracy. We need to vote for those. Happy to answer any questions about any of that. Yes, thank you. And I uh, just wanted to add in a plug that if you are voting for a pro-choice candidate, make sure if they are a senator that they also support overturning the filibuster because it's yes. not that there aren't a majority of votes in the Senate. It's that we cannot get to 60 votes yet because of the filibuster. So the first order of business is overturning the filibuster. So a majority of votes in the Senate can be heard. Uh, Alika, you had a question for Dr. Mina? I do. Um, I think it would be great um, to hear your thoughts. Uh, You know, one thing that has changed so much, you know, for example, since before Roe is that we have now options, for example, for medication abortion, um, particularly by telemedicine, uh, in some cases by mail. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on that, just because I think a lot of people, um, you know, worry that the only options available are going to be surgical or, or something like yes. that. No, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and, and there's there's work to be done here too, right? There is um, abortion medications by mail. A woman can get this. Just the next day pills, I don't know what all the, you know, what, what people call them. But right now the FDA has designated them as something that requires, you know, having a doctor's visit. Basically they're classified on the same level as opioids. And again, these are incredibly safe. Um, And so this is another thing to ask your, your elected person to say, hey, we need to take this off. We need to relabel this. We know that this is important and we need to have access to this and women need to have access. Um, and they don't need to be, have to go to see a doctor to do this or have to get a medical like letter signed off or have to have two visits or wait a week or whatever else it is. This is important access to care. Um, and these are safe medications. They've been around. We have plenty of good data about them. Absolutely. And I just want to draw a distinction between uh, there's plan B that you take immediately after intercourse and there uh, are the abortion pills, which I think you take a few weeks in and would the Supreme court ruling affect both of those or we don't know, you know, it depends on how it's worded and, and what they say it could, it really could. And then again, I mean, I think a lot of people are feeling very helpless and just like this is inevitable, but it's not inevitable because there are laws that can be passed. There are people that we can elect to who say, look, you know, your governor has a great deal of power here to say, no, I will veto a state bill that prevents access to any type of medical abortion, whether it's the next day or whether it's a little bit later. That's, you know, so you want to elect the people who are going to protect the folks who say, or say, I am not going to um, prosecute women who are um, who are who are being sued for pursuing reproductive health care. Connecticut has declared themselves a sanctuary state for reproductive health care. The fact that we have to have a sanctuary state for reproductive health care is disturbing, but that's where we are, um, where the rest of the world is moving forward. And where even countries like Colombia, I think, and very Catholic countries, Ireland, have access to abortion, we are moving backwards. Um, I think there was something else that, oh, Alika, I think it's a really important point. I forgot. Yeah, I I think one thing that, um, you know, as you mentioned, that, you know, we have states where the situation could become very punitive very fast. Um, And, you know, 
obviously there are complications here in terms of laws that would um, criminalize even supporting people or traveling to another state. But in cases where, you know, particularly that might not apply, um, you know, there are resources out there that can help support um, uh, you getting to another state or um, getting a hotel room if you need to wait two days, uh, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, I think it's called the Abortion Access Fund. You can look this up. I really, if you are feeling angst, this is a good place to donate even $5. These are women, they've been doing this all the time because these abortion limitations are not new in this country. They have been going on for years and they help provide transportation. They will pay for the procedure or the medications if you need to get them. They'll provide childcare. If you have a child and you need to have somebody watch them because you have to travel, they provide care packages to these women. It's, it's women, it's people taking care of people. And and right now that's where we are with this. Um, Until we can get more people elected who are pro-choice and and like Laura said, anti-filibuster, which is just an arcane way of not allowing things to get done. As far as I can tell at this point, we need more people. And so anything that you can do, even if it's just writing a letter or voting is important. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. if you have I know, a great place. And another uh, thing is don't forget the uh, women's health care centers, especially in these red states. A friend of mine uh, helps run a clinic in Alabama, the last clinic in Alabama. Yeah. And just they are so strapped for resources to help uh, all the people that need help uh, now and after Roe versus Wade goes away. Yeah. Because the issues are, are not going to go away. Women, uh, you know, people that can't afford a, health, a safe and healthy pregnancy uh, for whatever reason, that this problem doesn't go away just by making something illegal on the books. It just makes it harder for people to get the reproductive health care they need. And it increases the risk. It increases the morbidity and the mortality. The longer you wait, the more risky any kind of abortion is, uh, the more places you have to go that are not certified or not trained because doctors are no longer there who know how to do it, the more risky it is. Um, And I would say a really great resource for folks, Planned Parenthood has training for just folks who are escorts, you know, and you can go there, you can get training on how to be an escort and volunteer an afternoon um, and and just to help talk to women and make them feel less, you know, alone during all this. Because a lot of women feel alone when having to deal with, and again, one in four, one in four, all of us have had reproductive health care and one in four have had an abortion. This is health care. We all need to speak up. It's it's so important. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to Care Talk today. Uh, we'll be back next week to answer more of your health care questions. And please help support your local health care clinics, uh, because in the next few weeks, they're really going to need it. Thank you.